I'm, uh, I'm real pumped this morning, so I'm saying in my head, like, slow down, take a breath, because I'm excited. Uh, there's, there's some stuff we're going to talk about, and, and I'm really excited about it. If you could turn in your Bible to Exodus 19, we're going to start in Exodus 19, and we're just going to flip. So whether you're flipping with your finger to scroll, and you can handle that temptation of being on your phone, that's fine. Or if you need a physical Bible, there are Bibles in front of you. They look like this. If you don't own a Bible, this is our gift to you, right? Or if you immediately think of someone who you know who doesn't own a Bible, please take this and give it to them. We have Bibles here. They're for people to have the Word of God. That's why we have them. Praise God. So we've got them. Let's get into them. We're going to flip through and cover Exodus 19 through 40 um, in, what, 30, 35 minutes or less? So buckle up. Let's go, right? Um, man, the, uh, I really love um, some of the songs we're singing, and it's, it's so beautiful to be declaring together, great is your faithfulness, because if you've been following along reading Genesis and Exodus and Job with us, the only hope we have as those who relate so closely to all these people who keep biffing it, the only hope we have is that there is a God of covenants who's faithful to what he says. And, and so in light of all that, and we look to this sign and we see Jesus say, all authority has been given to me and I am with you always. This is the God of covenants, the God of Abraham, the, the one who's faithful, the one that says, I'm with you always. And so uh, I, I invite you, grab your Bible. If you if you're new here, if you're visiting, or if you've been here a handful of times, welcome. Here we are. This is Memorial Baptist Church. We gather to worship God passionately, to connect with each other authentically, to grow to know God deeply, and to go declare the gospel boldly. That's what we do, right? And if you're kind of a member and you've been here forever, longer than I've been alive, and I'm just a young buck kid to you, that's fine. I'm thankful for your age and your wisdom and all that. I know that the church has had tons of different things we've said over the years. This is how we define what we're doing. If we're gathering and we're not worship connecting, growing and going, then we're wasting our time. If we're gathering and we're not reading the word of God, we're wasting our time, pick a better hobby, right? And that's what we're going to be talking about this morning. We're going to be talking about like, how real is this to us? What does this mean for us individually? What does this mean for us corporately? In fact, this isn't in my notes, but I want to kind of, I want to give you kind of a, a, a hack for sermons, right? Here, here's something you should be thinking about. There are six questions that everyone who preaches up here answers, and they answer it, and they either turn it into Adam or I, or it's Adam and I answering it, and we talk about them, and, and kind of the money of those is that we try to define what's the major point that we're trying to get at? What's the major point? What was the original author saying to the original audience? That's kind of the focus. And then the main question is, how does it connect to the gospel and the kingdom? Because if it doesn't connect to King Jesus, then somehow we're missing it, right? Because that's what the whole Bible is. It's a story. Story, that it's a unified story that points to Jesus. And then we ask, what does this say to the individual? What does this say to the church body? How, how do we connect those things? So as you're listening, if you're uh, ever visiting a church, right, or if you're visiting now, hold us accountable to that. Are we preaching the gospel? Are we teaching that Jesus is Lord and everything connects to him and your only hope is in King Jesus? Are we teaching that? Are we teaching you guys to be unified as one church body, his kingdom, or are we just filling you full of inflative ideas that make you feel happy and puffy and good so you can go out and live your dreary life and then come back next week so we can make you feel all inflated and puffy and good again? That stinks. That's not the gospel. The gospel is that we're all unified together. I'm getting ahead of myself, but that's what we're doing. So we're going to talk about this morning. We've been going through the Bible. Um, that's what our church is doing this year, reading it all cover to cover. So we've read Genesis and Exodus and Job, and we're starting tomorrow in Leviticus. Who's pumped for Leviticus? 
Yeah, so let's be honest. If you've read through the Bible in the past, people talk about dying in the wilderness of Leviticus, right? Or Numbers, uh, man, it, it's, it's some tough stuff. It's rough, right? And so we're going to work through it. It's going to be great, and we're going to keep seeing how this is all one unified story. One of the things you'll be hearing us say a lot is we're just trying to do this 30,000-foot overview. Like there's, there's a lot of little stories in there that we're going to dive down and talk about, but we've got to see the overall point because if the Bible really is one unified story that points to King Jesus, then that's what we need to uncover. That's what we want to discover and look at and see what is God trying to do here? What's the major theme? What's the major thing these authors want us to know? And so that's what we're going to be working through. If you haven't done that yet, if you're like, man, I got, I got excuses. I haven't read Genesis, Exodus, or Job, so I'm so far behind. I was with you for a week, but I'm lost. I didn't read the last three days. Whatever it is that's in your mind that says, I can't read through the Bible with you this week. Uh, I haven't even started. You're watching from home. You're like, man, I, I don't even know what you're talking about. Stop. Lay your excuses at the door and say, man, there's a God who's written to you that wants to communicate to you. Wouldn't it be awesome if God takes one of the most, what people argue, the most boring book in scripture, and that's where God has you start reading this week, and that's where you find Christ. Man, that would be very like God, wouldn't it, to to find Jesus through his law? Turns out that's what we're doing. So I I just want to push every week. Grab your Bible. We're in Leviticus this next week. Just start reading it. In general, you can follow our plan. We've got little things like this that talk about it. It's all digital as well. Or just read about three or four chapters a day. Come back next Sunday. We'll keep talking about it. If you're super far behind and you're nervous about it, trust God's spirit to guide you because he wants to speak to you, right? Just say, man, God, I I want you to speak to me. I'm going to read the word. And that's what we're going to do. And if you're just type A and you're like, I don't know how I can catch up, send me an email. Send Adam or I or carry a message. We'll find a way to get you caught up that's not reading, you know, 130 chapters that you've missed thus far. Good. We're on the same page. Shake your heads. Yes. Let's go. Last week we talked about Tob and Ra, right? It's the Hebrew word for good. It's the Hebrew word for evil. Say Ra. Ra. Did anyone this week use that as their personal curse word? No? Okay, come on. Be honest. No one? Thank you. Ra. It's a good one. It's a Hebrew word for evil, and it connects all through Scripture, right? There is a theme that the author of the Pentateuch, uh, side note, when we say Torah, Pentateuch, Tanakh, that what we're referring to is the first five books of the Bible. They're originally a document crafted together. When people say the law, they're referring all through Scripture. They're talking about the Torah, these five books that come together to teach. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, right? Pentateuch, Penta, you got it? Shake your heads, yes. Okay, yeah, I've heard words like that before. Right, so that's a theme in Torah, in law, is that there is evil, God is good. God stays consistent, we said, right? And then these are the characters, man. They are roller coaster. They're all over. This is us. We get this. We're all over the place, right? But yeah, God stays consistent. And Genesis 50, 20 said, what you intended for evil, rah, God used for good. And we saw that. We went through and we looked at Last week, the uh, roller coaster of the Exodus, right? And we saw how Israel was enslaved and Pharaoh and all the plagues and how God delivered them and redeemed them out, right? This week, I want to start, instead of slowly moving to, hey, here's how this connects to Christ, we're going to start with some words of Jesus, then we're going to pray, and then we're going to talk about Exodus, and we're going to end with some things Jesus said, okay? Matthew 26 26 through 28. You're familiar with these verses if you've ever celebrated Lord's Supper communion. Now as they were eating, Jesus took the bread, and after blessing it, he broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took the cup, and we had given thanks. He gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. 
It's Matthew 26, John 14, 6. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Let's pray. God, we ask that you would guide us as we read your word, as we, we fly over and try to make sense of, of these stories and this narrative, uh, what, what you inspired us to understand. God, we keep seeing that we are so limited. We corrupt so many good things. We create so much uh, apprehension in me, so some hesitation because it just knows that things get so quickly twisted. God, I pray by the power of your spirit that you would guide us, that you would bring wisdom, your truth, uncorrupted, that we would hear it and that we would humbly bow before you, that we would look to King Jesus and be transformed by the renewing of our mind through your spirit, God. You are our only hope. May we submit to you as your body, unified in you, to your kingdom come and your will be done. Thanks for your great love for us. Amen. Exodus 19. Here we go. Are you ready? Are you excited? No? Okay. We're going to go anyway. Start the machine. Then Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain. God's on the mountain. So they came out from Exodus, and now, or from uh, Egypt, and now they're going through the wilderness, and then they end up at Mount Sinai. And then, so now the narrative pauses. You get like slow-mo up until uh, Numbers 10. We are here at Mount Sinai. This is really important. God's formalizing a covenant with them. He's teaching them the law. There's going to be a lot happening. And so God is on the mountain. People are beneath it. And then Moses keeps going up, sometimes other people with him. And this is going to be a pattern that we see. The Lord called to him from the mountain and said, This is what you are to say to the descendants of Jacob and what you are to tell the people of Israel. This is what God wants them to know. You ready? You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. What's he talking about here? What, where did he bring them from? Egypt, from slavery, right? And he brought them out on wings of, do your eagle wings. Come on, let's go. Wait, okay, please, please, my nerd people, be with me. Close your eyes. When you imagine eagles carrying people from, from slavery, oppression, darkness to something greater. What do you imagine? Ouch. Return of the king, right? You think of Tolkien. Man, I don't know. I didn't talk to Tolkien about this, but I just want to believe that Lord of the Rings, Tolkien, that, that this, this idea inspired him. And by the way, this eagle analogy, se several times in scripture. Israel, uh, Isaiah picks up on it, right? It's in Revelation. There's this idea of an eagle bringing people out. Man, it's such an exciting thing. He carried them out on wings like eagles, brought you to myself. Now, verse 5. If you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations, you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole world is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. So Moses went back and summoned the elders and the people and said before them all the words that the Lord had commanded him to speak. And the people respond, yes, we'll do everything the Lord has said. Yes, yes, we shall do it. Yes, that's what they say. Yes, yes, we're going to do it, right? So this is it, right? Eagle's wings. What kind of sentence is verse 5? English people, conditional, if then, right? If you do this, then this will happen, right? This is what's happening. So you have this covenant language, if you do this. I'm going to read it again in case you missed it. If you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then... Out of all nations, you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, 
you will be for me a kingdom of what? Priests and a? Yes. And the people, they say that, say, yeah, yeah, we're going to do that. This language assumes, because again, all of it is written together. The Pentateuch, it's all written together. It assumes Genesis 12 and Genesis 15, where God, right after the Tower of Bible, they tried to make a name for themselves, and God's like, no. My name is above all names. I am the great I am, right? And then right after that, God pulls Abram from nowhere and says, from you, I will make your name great. Genesis 12. Genesis 15, right? They had the covenant where the animals are split and God puts a trance over Abram and God walks through it. If you break this covenant, I'll die. If I break this covenant, I'll die. God puts it on his shoulders. We talked about that a few weeks ago, right? This language assumes that it's a covenant that he's making with them. And he's saying, if you just obey me, look to me as the great I am, as the God who's done all, the one who's carried you out on eagle's wings. Look to me with everything you have. Then, for me, you will be what? Two things, priests and a holy nation. We got to talk about this word priest for a minute. I'm not going to go Hebrew on you right now, but let's just talk about the word priest in general. Hold on. We're going to write some words up here because my education classes told me that when I do things like this, it helps us remember things and it also keeps me from getting distracted. Priests, I before E, right? Except after C, sometimes in May, you'll always be wrong no matter what you say. Okay, priests. When you think about priests, just honest answer, good or bad? Okay, hold on. Close your eyes. Think about priest. How the word hits you, how you feel. Raise your hand if the word priest makes you feel okay, indifferent, or good. Raise your hand if the word priest makes you uncomfortable and makes you think of corruption. Look around. Come on. We're split, probably, right? Here's, this is so important because I think it's interesting that the Bible is calling us priests. It's a theme all throughout Scripture. There's so many videos. The vast majority of Hebrews is written about this, the, the book of Hebrews, right? And then there's this concept of priests. And when we think of priests, some of us are like, oh, I can list all these good things. I know a good priest. How many of you have known a bad priest? How many of you have ever heard of a bad priest? What's the ratio to good and bad? I'm not going to talk about that. But it's, it's right. It's corrupted. It's a tense word. Now, this is important. God comes right out of you and says, you will be a kingdom of priests. What do priests do? Talk to me. Just in the broadest sense, if you go to any country and you meet some, it doesn't matter what they're called, right? Uh, whoever the holy person is of the tribe. Let's say we call them priests, whatever. What do they do? Ah, that's right, right. And back and forth, right? So they are a liaison, a connecting point from deity to humans, that's what priests are. Shake your head. This is a simple concept. Well, I'm going to make sure you're in on this. I'm pumped. You're going to be pumped. So that's what they do, right? God, this is what, and God says, you are these priests. The language of Genesis 12 was not just Israel's so precious to me and Abram, you're so precious. It's just going to be you. Everyone else stinks. They are bad. I'm going to bring everyone to myself. That's not what he says. From the beginning, Israel, Abram, they will be a blessing for all the nations, nations, whatever you land politically, let me just poke a hole in it just a sec. You are not more important and your country and your nation is not more important than everyone else. There is a king and a kingdom that is above that. And from the beginning, Christians, church, I'm talking to you. From the beginning, we have always been called to be priests. No matter how much we corrupt it, no matter how much we twist it, we have been called to take the things of God to other people and to connect people to the Lord. That's our calling. And so when you sit here and you just participate and you just assume or you just think, ah, that's not me. That's not my calling. Welcome to scripture. It is your calling. 
You can put whatever word you want on it. Missionary, uh, Paul says uh, um, ambassador, right? You can put whatever, witness, priest. You are priest. We're going to come back to this concept. We're going to land here, but we need to tickle it out right now just a little bit. Hold on to that. And the people say, yes, we'll do it, right? But there's this if-then statement. And in the back of your mind, if you've been reading this, like, let's just talk here. Israel, they say they're going to do it, pass or fail. How does Israel do in this? Yeah, they fail. Do they actually uphold this covenant? Nah, man, not at all. They completely miss it, right? And so we can go on right after this, Exodus 19. Then you have Exodus 20. What's in Exodus 20? Yeah, this thing we get really upset about. If it's not in the right place at the right time, we want it displayed in certain places. Interestingly enough, side note for you, in the vast majority of Hebrew literature and altar history, it wasn't called the Ten Commandments. You know what it was called? The Ten Words. You know what other Ten Words are in Scripture? Ten Plagues. What was before that? God spoke ten times and He created. Again, this is all trying to get us to understand. The author wants us to understand this idea. Who is the one who speaks ten times? Who is the one? Who is the I am, the God above all, who speaks and things are created? Who can dismantle creation by speaking ten times? Who gives you ten laws that you tend to, tend to prop up as more important than everything? This is actually, it's all about God. We look to God because he's the authority, not us. He's the authority. So interesting. Uh, if you keep flipping past Exodus 20, then you get a lot of What? Laws. Just laws. And hold on to that. We're not going to unpack that right now. There's 613 of them, and they're spread out, and they're in uh, Exodus, Leviticus, uh, Numbers, and we're going to talk about that in a couple weeks. We've got Baptism Sunday next week. Get pumped, but then after that, we're going to get up here, and we're going to talk about the laws. And spoiler alert, Jesus summarized all of them into two commands, right? Love me with everything you have. Love God with everything you have, and love others. Love your neighbors yourself, right? And he said they're actually one command. They go together, right? So, spoiler on that. We'll talk about that later. So God instructs Moses then on the tabernacle. It's like a mobile Eden. This is such a beautiful picture. Like, God's saying, if you do this, then I will be with you. Command, my presence will be with you. I'm going to come dwell. And if you read it and you study it, it should give you hints. It's, it's, it's boring to some of us, which is fine. It's details. It's like, oh, oh man. Pay attention to how much it feels like Eden, how much it feels like this, this beautiful array of light and color and plants and trees. There's so much there because it's a mobile Eden. God says, my presence is going to be with you and I'm going to go with you, right? It's a big deal. Then we get to Exodus 32, right after God gives the Ten Commandments. Flip over to Exodus 32. We're going to land here for a minute. Exodus 32. Remember, the people just said, yes, we will do it. Uh, Exodus uh, 24, you, we didn't quite cover this, but Moses says, okay, they say, yes, we'll do it again. And there's some blood that's around to symbolize, hey, this is the blood of the covenant, just like we talked about a few weeks ago. Exodus 32. When the people saw that Moses was so long in coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron and said, come, make us gods who will go before us. This is meant to be stark and confusing. It's meant to be like a, What? Like, just like such a weird moment. And again, we hear these stories, and we preached on his heart last year, right? So you maybe have heard this story. But there should be this stark, like, wait, he just gave you the ten words. You just said, we will do it. You said that four times, actually. We will do it. We will do it. There was blood. It was a big ceremony. And then you're just like, oh, you know what? We, we need to make ourselves some gods. God literally said in the Ten Commandments, don't do this. In fact, after that, he even says two more times, don't worship idols. Don't make a graven image. Anyway. Come, let us make gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us about Egypt, we don't know what's happened to him. Aaron answered him and said, 
Take off the gold earrings that your wives, your sons, and your daughters are wearing and bring them to me. So all the people took off their earrings and brought them to Aaron. He took them and handed uh, what they had handed him, and he made it into an idol cast in the shape of a calf, fashioned with a tool. So he fashioned this thing. It wasn't, oops, accidental. He kind of shifts the blame later. We're not going to talk about that. But they, this was intricately fashioned. This was very intentional. It wasn't, oops, there's an idol. Nope, this was intentional. They, same language used here. God created man in what? His own image. Man created the calf in they made an image. They made an image of a God. It just wasn't the image that God created. God created us in his image. Man, there's a deep thought that we don't have time for that, but it's, it's interesting. Same language used here. Fashion with a tool. Then they said, these are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. Again, what? Like, man, I, I, I told in my notes, it's like, hey, draw it out. I don't have the exact way to draw it out, but let's just imagine, right? We've got the mountain. Here's the mountain. And Moses is up here somewhere and, and maybe some other people. But then God's up here in darkness and smoke. And at some point there was lightning. Man, we need more colors. This gets confusing. But God's up here and the people are down here, right? We'll just draw them as lines. These are the people. And then they decide to make a calf. Anyone can make a good calf noise off the top of their head? Where's my farmers at? Close enough. Right? Here's the calf, right? And this is it. They make this thing, right? Now, just please picture the absurdity here. This is so important. They can literally look and see there is smoke and fire and lightning. God is right there. He's showing his presence with them. He's literally told them, I'm going to make my dwelling with you. I'm going to put my glory in the tabernacle with you. They can see it. It's not obscure. It's not confusing. It's right there. This is the, 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 I know we've skimmed through stories. The author wants us to catch this. It's right, stiff neck. They won't even look so rough. So they make this thing and they say, we're going to take stuff that God gave us. Do you know where they got the earrings and the bracelets and the gold? Where'd they get that? They were slaves in Egypt. How could they afford such things? God gave them to them as a marriage gift, as the language of scripture, as they came out. And so they have this stuff and they say, we're going to take the stuff of God and we're going to melt it down into this thing that is with us that we can control. They make an idol together with their hands to say, this is our go-between between us and God. This is something we control. We control the relationship. God says, you're married to me. Will you obey it? Yes, we will. Immediately they say, no, we're going to sleep around. We're going to do our own thing. This is our God. We don't want to look up here. This is ethereal. This is hard to connect with. This is difficult for us. This is too much. Uh, you, you ask too much of me. We just want to do our own thing. So we make this, right? Don't skip this story. Don't, don't miss this. This is exactly how idolatry works in our life, isn't it? Come on. The author, I'm going to say this so many times, but the author wants us to be like, you stupid Israelites, you're so silly. What were you thinking? And as soon as we do that, rise comes the mirror in front of us. And we're like, oh, my goodness. This, this is written on this way on purpose. Please don't be so holy and perfect in this room that you don't catch that this is us. We have corrupted so many good things. And I've got too many analogies in my notes that wreck my heart to go over. But they choose to do this together. They even blend it. They even say, hey, we're going we're gonna to worship the Lord with this. So they blend. It's like we're kind of following what God said, but we control the relationship. We don't do what he said. We do what we say. And we think they're so stupid and foolish. I want to give you two quick analogies. We make these decisions personally all the time. 
I prayed on these steps one morning with a lady who was convinced that she needed, the Spirit of God told her in our church service that she needed to divorce her husband and move to Israel because that's where God was. And she had to get close to God. It's right here. And the Spirit of God told her. I can't emphasize that because some of you would say, well, God told me this and God's Spirit told me this and God's Spirit told me that. Thank God four people stood here with her and said, that's not what Scripture says. Please don't divorce your husband and move to Israel because it's stupid. It's not there, right? That's an individual basis. Now, all of you, oh no, but our church would never. Hold on. So many groups have twists. Man, I wish all of you could just take some time in church history and then watch some documentaries on how cults are formed. So many of you were around in the big televangelist movement. Do you remember that when TV and radio was popular? And ever, I don't want to name names because I don't want to give honor to people who don't need to have it. And I don't want to remind us of those people. Man, there's recently a movie that came out about these situations. And uh, there was an actor uh, that was in the Spider-Man movie. And so I was like, whoa. You know, I was watching him interviewed and he was talking about how he's in the Spider-Man movie because I'm a geek. That's what I do. And I found out he was also in this movie about a televangelist. And in the preview, this actor said, Jesus loves you. Praise God. And it dawned on me that this actor is acting to be a person who was acting to love Jesus. And there's so many layers of corruption there. Just think in your mind. Already had, do you know a priest that's corrupt? Do you know a pastor who's corrupt? Do you know? So many things have been corrupted. Televangelists, missionaries, preachers, churches, Salem rich trials, crusades, Native American cruelty, slavery, racial segregation. Pick a time in history where things have been awful. I promise you Christians have been complicit. And I can't emphasize this enough because we use this language and we say things like, the Spirit led us and God's Spirit's in me. And you got to do this thing. And we pick two or three verses and we so passionate each other. If only you'd look at this and if only you'd think about this and this is the most important thing. And we don't stop to think, you know what? History shows us that we corrupt everything God gives us. We lay it down and we melt it down and we create our own thing to say, this is what's most important. And then we just come to church and we'd be like, oh, well, I'll just do my own thing. Maybe here, right now, being here, this is your golden calf. Because you believe all God's called you to do is just, just be here every now and then. You're completely missing it. That this is actually what you're called to be. You're called to be a priest. You're called to so much more than this. And this story reminds us, and please, please empathize with me. I don't have perfect words for this. I shudder at these things. They break my heart because I see the God who loves us, who's done everything to communicate with us. And we just break what he's given us. And he, evil always finds the, the world, the flesh, the devil. They find some way to corrupt this stuff. All of you have different issues. The church has hurt you. This pastor's hurt you. These Christians are all hypocrites. We all have this baggage we bear. And we might have little cute phrases we say to get around, but it weighs down on us. It breaks our heart. And it slowly makes us look to this and say, well, I'm going to fashion religion in my way. This is my flavor of Christianity. This is my flavor of following God. I just need a boat and a fishing pole and to be alone with the Lord. We don't ever stop to think, well, what does the word say? What is God actually calling us to do? because we're so stopped on looking just to what we want, what we can craft and control. And interestingly enough, that's what the serpent said. Genesis 3, you could be like God. You could control good from evil. I'm sorry to overemphasize these things. They might not bother you as much as me. But the history of how much we've corrupted what God's given us really hurts. And it should give all of us a slight insecurity and pause to say, what do I really know? What is actually true? When I am so quick to say, God says this, this is what the church is missing. This is what America needs. Hold, do we stop and think, hold on. 
What does Scripture say? And am I myself humble before God, recognizing that so many things have been corrupt? And are we, collectively, the church, humble before God first? Because things are so quickly twisted with our selfishness. God is right here. All they had to do was look to him. Say, we will do it. Trust in him. He's with us. Jesus says, I'm with you always. Exodus 31, Moses intercedes. God's ready to be done with it. He says, these people you've brought out of Egypt. God turns it and he's done. God realizes you're not going to be faithful to me. And Moses intercedes on me and says, hey, hey, remember your covenant. Remember, remember God. And, and there's this interesting discussion. We don't have time to talk about all the theological implications, but Moses intercedes and God punishes the idolaters, but he also shows great, huge mercy to those who are unfaithful. Everyone sinned. Everyone in Israel was culpable for this, but not all of them died. Not all of them were kicked out of the covenant. It's very interesting. And then Exodus 34, the most quoted verses of the Bible, God defines himself. Moses intercedes, talks to God in Exodus 31. In Exodus 32, there's this really interesting conversation about, God, show me your glory. And God says, I can't let my glory pass before you. It'll kill you. You can't see all of me, but my goodness will pass before you, which gives us this really interesting philosophical thing in Genesis 1, that good things point to objectively who God is. And in some way, every good thing is pointing us to God, but it's also not completely who he is because his glory is so much more than that. So that means whatever goodness you think is good, there is a gooder, gooder, gooder thing, the goodest thing above what you think is good that ultimately is still scratching the surface of who God is. I am the great I am, he says. So you love fishing, you love hunting, you love building things, you love uh, kissing your wife, whatever it is, there's a God who has even good or goodest, good, good, good things for you beyond that. Ah, get pumped about that. Amen. This is the eternity we hope for. You don't have to be as excited as me. Read the story. It's there. Exodus 34, God passes by Moses. Hear these words. The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents of the third and fourth generation. This is who the Lord is. Now, church, as we read all of Scripture up to this point, and we continue to read Scripture, this is it. This is the most quoted verse in all scripture, over and over and over. Parts of this or all of this is quoted, because this is who God is. So, who is God? And when we look back, we see this is who God has been. And then God still lets them move forward with building the tabernacle. He still restores his covenant with them. In fact, uh, the language of it is actually his spirit empowers. Bezel, his spirit empowers him to craft all of it, Right? And then his spirit brings them to give the stuff to the Lord. God does it. He is constantly the God that shoulders our junk because we won't do it. And he loves us that much. And we see this over and over and over. Who is God? As we've read these scriptures, just think, is you re- who is, who are we to think about this God? Because he kind of punches people. He gets really emotional. And let that be uncomfortable to you, because it is. He's bigger than us, and we don't get it. And he's deeply emotional and hurt and crushed at certain moments. And he's ready to say, I I won't do it. You guys won't follow me. And then he also comes back and says, no, no, I do forgive. And then we get these verses, compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. This is who he is all through Scripture. Who are we? Who are the Israelites? Pass or fail? Consistently fail. That's always going to be the answer, by the way. You can always just do this when I say that. Consistently fail. Israel's story is a big old sad face. That's it. That's what we get. 
And then we find out in this mirror, they're just like us, man. We're no different. Whatever you think is just the best time in history, this is when everything really aligned. We still see a lot of this, a lot of corruption, a lot of tension. So what's the hope? What do we do? God is this, and he's going to punish the just, or he's going to punish the guilty, and he's going to hold those things, and he's holy and just, and he's perfect, but he's also compassionate and full of grace and full of love and forgiving the wickedness, iniquity, and sin, all the Hebrew words for bad stuff he's going to take care of, but then he's also going to punish the guilty. What do we do with that? What's the hope? Because you realize you're guilty. We, we want this so much. We craft it. We control it. My life, my way. Isn't that, I mean, come on. Look at just Western idealism. Like, this is where he came from. Rome, Europe, come over here, do our own thing. It's a constant cycle of humans saying, I'm going to do it my way. Your way stinks, my way's better, right? And even now we've got different party systems and different things. Tons of people in my generation just leave the faith because they say, oh, look at all the things the church has broken. Never ending cycle. Oh, I'm going to go do it better over here because I actually know over and over and over. God has given you this book, this holy scriptures to recognize this is life. This is how your world works. What's our hope? Now, as they're eating, Jesus took the bread and after blessing it, he broke it and he gave it to the disciples and said, take and eat. This is my body. And he took the cup. And when he gave thanks, he gave to them and said, drink all of you. This is the blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. He says, my blood. This is our hope. Jesus takes care of it. His blood is the covenant. John 14, 6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and life. Hear me, please. Whether you're watching from home, whether you're here, you know, if you're past that 25-minute window where your mind can crystallize information because of how our neurons fire in our brain, that's fine. Tune in right now. You are separated from the Lord because of your sin and rebellion. And I want so bad... For the Spirit to move in you to see that this is you. Church, this is us. This is what happens. This is a constant pattern. And as stupid and silly as that story is, we constantly break his good things. We take his good things and twist it. And even the goodness that you want to do, you want to do good. You want to be a good dad and a good mom and a good employee and have a good life. But you even take the good things God's given you. And and you know, if you're honest, they're still thwarted with selfishness. And brokenness. And you look at the people around you and it's brokenness and selfish. Well, God has made good. We continue to make evil. But God is compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, forgiving wicked rebellion and sin. But he also has to punish the guilty. He has to punish the wicked. Otherwise, nothing is made right. Just an ever-ending cycle, right? Just keeps swirling. More and more junk. More and more junk. This is why Jesus said his blood was poured out. Jesus was perfect. Jesus was perfect. Jesus did everything that Abraham, Isaac, and Moses couldn't fully do. Jesus was the perfect priest, the perfect person, the perfect nation. He did it all. And so 1 Peter 2.24 says he himself bore our sins in his body on that tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. If you're here and you don't know Jesus, 
Or maybe you think you do because of some thing you went through, your mammy, your grammy, your pappy, your grand grand, whoever. If, if there's something in your life that makes you think you know Jesus because of your church attendance or whatever, but your pattern in life isn't committed to him, you couldn't say that Jesus' blood has actually covered you. Hear this. You are separate from the Lord. And we want you to know that, that he is trying to get to you. He's trying to reach. That's why you're hearing the gospel this morning. Accept that you have strayed. You have sinned. You have wickedness and rebellion in you. You want to do it my way. It's all about me. I only live once. Whatever I can get, it's all on me. Please realize that your best attempts for good are still corrupt. It doesn't matter how giving you are at Christmas time. It doesn't matter how much you gave the church last year. It doesn't, apart from Christ, these things mean nothing. Jesus specifically says that. Apart from me, you can do no thing. Turn to Jesus. Jesus bore your sins, my sins, all of our sins. That's it. That's the only hope. Turn to Jesus. Romans 10, 9 and 10 says it very plainly. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it's with the heart one believes and is justified. And with the mouth one confesses and isn't saved. Maybe you are saved though. And you're just like, I've heard that a lot. I get it. I'm saved. Christians, church members, I'm talking to you. Pay attention. This is it. 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are a people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. What does that sound like? It sounds like Exodus 19. You are priests, Christians. You are priests, everyone in here. No matter, even if you hate that word, makes you feel icky, fine, forget it. Pick your own word, ambassador, witness. You are priests. You are a liaison to the Lord. How will other people know? Are you actively connected with a gospel-centered church where you are growing together to the image of Christ and connecting others with him? If you're not connected to a gospel-centered church that you're actively growing and serving in, what does it mean to be a Christian? I mean, tell me, like, read the Bible. Read what we just read. God's desire. What does it mean to be a Christian? I mean, let me be so harsh on that. How selfish is that of you? That you're just like, you know what? I've got it for me or I've got it for my family. I'm not trying to make eye contact with anybody here. So don't leave here thinking, ooh, David's looking at me. I'm trying to look around intentionally. But whatever the Spirit's telling you, how selfish is it that you believe that this is all just for you? God has called you to be priests. There's a whole world who doesn't know Jesus and they're dying and they're going to be separate from him. And thank God that Jesus' blood has covered us so that his spirit enters us and he teaches us to obey the law. The Jeremiah 31 prophecy and covenant. We are being, have his law written on us and then we go as priests and connect other people to him. You can sit here and be as bored as you want with this idea, but they're dying and being separate from God because you don't care. Gosh, I can't get over this idea. All through scripture, God has said, I'm making you one in me. To be pleased to connect those who are outside. We have this idea in the West that there's outsiders and insiders. And if they're insiders, they're just like me. And what it means to be insiders is it means to become exactly like me. And the idea of insiders and outsiders in scripture is that you are insiders for the outsiders. It's not a special club that you get to be a part of. The only reason you're an insider is to be a priest. So if you claim to be a Christian and you can't point to people in your life that you're making disciples, people in your life that you're saying, come on, get in here. Because the only hope you have is King Jesus. If you're not doing that, then what does it mean to be a Christian? 
I know this message is going to make some people uncomfortable. It might make you not want to be here. And that's fine because we're going to preach Christ crucified. And we're going to preach what he's called us to preach. And it's hard on me too because I think of all the people in my life that I'm not actively saying, get in here. There's a God who loves you, done everything for you. May the spirit move those people in your mind right now. Maybe you're just like, yeah, but we're going to screw it up. You mentioned it, right? All these televangelists were, of course we're going to mess it up. Israel messed it up. The disciples messed it up. Read the story of Jesus and disciples. They keep messing it up. All of the New Testament is letters written to the church because they're messing it up. And it all points to what? Jesus has all authority. Humbly submit to him. If you could, please, as we close, look across the room, find eyes with someone, and say, you need me and I need you in Christ. You need me and I need you in Christ. As we come to close this morning, there's a few things I want you to think about. We're going to put them on the screen. Have you put your faith in Christ alone? Are you saved by him through his blood? If you haven't, that's your call. If you're watching from home, type in. Say, I want to to give my life to Christ. Turn to him today because that's your only hope. If you're like a lot of people who, who... think that that's it, and you've just turned to him, and that's it. Are you pursuing King Jesus within his church as one body, actively participating in his church kingdom community to show others who he is and welcome them in? Join a church. This isn't a heavy-handed thing to look at all of you who haven't joined to be on membership role. Let me be real with you. I don't look at our membership role. I don't care. Every now and then, Carrie gives me a list of everyone who uh, has been around at our church so I can pray for them and connect them. But we're not here to inflate our numbers to be able to say in the Baptist world, look at all the people in Memorial. Our whole goal is that we are a nation of priests. And so we're going to keep pulling people to say, who's responsible for your faith? You can't do this alone. You are going to make a golden calf today, tomorrow, this week. I'm going to make a golden calf. So we need each other. This is the kingdom. This is why we're called Ephesians 4, to grow up to be the church community as one body, one faith, one baptism, one God the Father who's above all, in all, and through all. Why? So that we can grow in the maturity of Christ, fitted together by King Jesus, who is the head. You need Jesus, and you need me, and I need you in Jesus. That's your calling. Maybe you need to join a church. You need to get connected. You need to actively participate in his kingdom. We're all going to make golden calves. I don't know how you respond to this. But I felt so moved today to just lay it out. You need to know Jesus. And if you say you know Jesus, you have got to be actively a part of his church. Because otherwise, you're just doing this. You're making Jesus what you want so that you can live your life. Watch a documentary on cults this week. Watch some Christian history. This never stops. We never stop doing it. What's our hope? We gather together as his body. We submit to him. We read his word. This is why we preach. This is why we gather and worship. To remind each other to grow to the image of Christ. So that we can tell other people, get in here. There is a God who is saving all because of his blood. King Jesus, who says he has all authority and who's with us always. So we go and make disciples. I don't know how you need to respond this morning. Whether you need to be baptized, whether you need to give your life, Lord, whether you need to join the church. But I'm praying right now that the spirit moves in you. And you don't see these stories as just those Old Testament Sunday school stories. But you see this connection that God is constantly trying to bring his people together for the world. And we can't just sit by can't be that selfish. We can't keep making it our own. It's all about him. We're going to pray and then we're going to worship. If you want to pray with somebody, if you've got something you want to deal with God with, you can deal with in your seat. You can come talk to me. Let the spirit move. Father, thank you for your great love for us.
May your spirit move. God, give us humility to look to you. Loosen our stiff necks and, and may we see through, through your spirit for the repentance of our minds. May we see the idols and the things that we're corrupting and humbly open up. I pray for the people who aren't connected to, to your body, to your church, that you would show us how to welcome them and, and how to grow together. May we see more and more people having stories of redemption of how you've changed them. You brought them out of, on eagle's wings. You've transformed their life. God, may we be a church that sees that as we submit to you. Give us humility to look to you as we worship together as one body, one kingdom of priests in you, Father. Thank you for your love for us. May your spirit guide us as we respond together in you. Amen.